Children's Church. We're in Luke <clears throat> chapter 15. Love to see young people in uh, part of the church. Amen. Sign of a growing church is lots of young people. They say that uh, it's a good idea to start a sermon out with a joke, so I have one for you today in honor of Father's Day. When does a dad joke become a dad joke? When it becomes apparent. Now, my kids have learned to laugh at these, or they keep coming, all right? It's not going to get any better. I've been a dad for 25 years, and I've got a lot of them stacked up. So uh, you, just, you just chuckle, and uh, you get a nickel later for it, amen. Today we celebrate fathers. It's that highest calling in a family. You know, to God himself, we can't give a holier name than that of Heavenly Father. Our two kids are talking to each other. One of them says, you know, I'm really worried. My dad works 12 hours a day to give me a nice home and good food. He gives me an allowance every week. He fixes anything that I own that breaks. And anything I really want or need in life, he gives it to me. And I'm worried sick. His friend said, why are you worried? It sounds like you've got it made. He says, I'm afraid he's going to try to escape. And this message is for you dads today that haven't escaped yet, amen, that are hanging on for the long term. I well remember the day I became a father, how little I knew what I was in for. I like that young father, first-time father who was so excited over the birth of his son. And as they were leaving the hospital, he wanted to make sure they did everything just right. And so he asked the nurse, Nurse, what time do we wake this little guy up in the morning? A uh, lot to learn, didn't he? A lot, lot to learn as a father, and uh, so did I as uh, we started out naive. A well-known feminist has said fathers are a biological necessity, but a psychological absurdity. That is a ludicrous statement. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, yet most valuable assets uh, to our society. Dads have a vital role in bringing strength and stability into the home. You know, 63% of teen suicides come from a fatherless home. 90% of all runaways and homeless children come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. And what I'm saying today is fathers are important, amen? Fathers are a valuable part of the family. The experience of home will shape uh, the character and behavior of tomorrow's adult. And I think we could all agree that in America today, there is a father absence crisis. A boy was teaching a girl arithmetic. He said it was his mission. He kissed her once, kissed her twice, and said, now that's addition. She sweetly gave the kisses back and said, now that's subtraction. Then he kissed her, she kissed him. Both smiled and said, that's multiplication. Then her dad, amen, appeared on the scene and made a quick decision. He kicked that boy three blocks away and said, that's long division. Amen? I like involved fathers. We live in a day when we need good male role models. It's hard for boys today to find good Christian men worth looking up to. Men have forgotten what it means to be men. Our society has tried its best and continues to try to blur the lines between men and women. But I say we need more men who are not afraid to be godly men. 
We need some men to disentangle themselves from mama's apron strings. And we need clear thinking, hard-working, God-honoring men today who do not shirk their responsibility to lead their families. Men who value integrity and a good name. I'm convinced that wives long to have a man like that to share life with and children long to have a man like that for a dad. And it takes a real man. It takes a real man to love his wife and his kids. It takes a man to love the Lord and sacrifice his own desires to serve his family. Hey, anyone, anyone can have one good night of fun and leave. It takes a man to stick around. And if you today had a daddy or have a daddy that has stuck around and provided for you and taught you, praise God for it. It's something to be grateful for. I thank God for the men we have here at Bible Baptist Church. I've been involved in several different churches as, on staff and, and uh, in many churches today. I've got to tell you, a lot of women come without their husbands, but here we have a strong representation of men who lead their families to church, and I'm grateful for that. Let's read, if we will, here in uh, Luke chapter 15. I want to start at verse number 11. Very well-known story. I want to talk about a few things out of this passage today. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Verse 14. When he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And would he have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread and enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a, sh put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to be merry. Father, I pray today you would take this passage and speak to hearts through it. Take me out of the way, Lord, and just give us something that we can apply to our lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke 15, we encounter three things lost. Uh, in, and, and in these three things, we see the Trinity. In the parable of the lost sheep, it is the Son... Uh, who's the active member of the Godhead. In the story of the lost coins, it is the uh, Holy Spirit who's at work. And in the parable of the lost son, really it was two sons, the central figure is the father. He's perhaps the best known father in the Bible. This father is written about as a type, a picture, a representation of God himself. Now, I have to tell you, must have read this story in my life dozens of times. I've heard countless messages from it. But in the last year, this story has taken on a whole new meaning. 
I've seen the prodigal situation from the outside as a youth pastor counseled many parents of prodigals. I have to confess that most of that counsel was academic, even clinical sometimes. And uh, got to confess a little bit in the pride of my own heart, I felt assured that I will never be the parent of a prodigal. At least this will never happen to me. And it didn't until it did. I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, and some of you have been there, as bags were packed, as words were said that I never thought I would hear, as the car headed away, I felt for the first time in my life the pain of, of this father. That sense of utter, complete, consuming helplessness. When you know a life is being destroyed, decisions are being made, and you can do nothing to stop or to change it. If there were words that could change a heart, I would have said them. If there was blood that could be shed to change the situation, I would have shed it. If tears would have healed it, it would be healed. That picture of the dad on the porch looking down the road for his wayward son, it was just that in, 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 in previously in my life. It's always just a, just a picture that I kind of saw from the outside. Now, like some of you, I, I've, I've been on that porch. On the porch, there's a pain. It doesn't fade. It only intensifies. On the porch, there's a feeling of failure. Things that could have been done differently. On the porch exists a deep desire to go back and do it all over again, and maybe this time we'll get it right. Here's the thing, though. You can't go back. And so you're haunted with what is and what could have been. Yeah, the picture of the father, for me, has taken on a whole new meaning. Until I found myself on the porch, I read this story, and the son was the main character. And I would, in fact, much of my life, I aspired not to be the son. As a young man, I would read this story, and boy, I didn't want to break the heart of my father. I didn't want to be lured into sin and be destroyed by it, as always happens when somebody goes into sin. And so, I don't, though, look now at the son primarily anymore. Now it is the father that I identify with. Now it's the Father that I want to emulate. I want to preach to you for a few minutes this morning on the prodigal father. The prodigal father. Most of the messages taken from this passage are about the prodigal son. The word prodigal comes from the Latin word prodigious, which means lavish. The dictionary meaning of prodigal. Uh, there's two of them, spending money on, or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. And the second, having or giving something on a lavish scale. Oh, and the prodigal son certainly did that. He lived lavishly. In his heart, there was a rebellion. He hated the rules. He hated the fields. He hated the work and the sweat that came along with it. He hated what he felt was a restriction to his life. He'd sit there at night and he'd watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous. He would scroll through his phone and look at the social media posts of all his friends having all the fun that they were having and he wasn't. Now, just for the sake of you millennials out there, there wasn't actually social media in this time, all right? 
I know it seems like life didn't exist before it, but it did, and we lived meaningful lives. Amen? We did. It was, was, was just fine. He wanted to get away from it all. While he was in the field, Satan would paint beautiful pictures of all that the world had to offer and, and the beauty and, and uh, enticement of sin. You see, Satan always will devalue what you have and magnify what you don't have. And only uh, when he did go and where he ended up was not in the brochure that Satan gave. And it never is. Sin is never as it is presented. Satan always does his seducing with promises that are empty and will not be fulfilled and will destroy you. One day he had had enough. After all, he's 18 years old. He knows what there is to know about life. He's much smarter than his dad is after all. His dad's an old has-been. He's 18 now. And he's going to go out and see the world. And so he comes to his father with a very cruel demand. He says to him, and we read it, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. The good, the, what we have to remember is when that happens. That happens at the, when the parent dies. And so what he's essentially saying here is, Dad, let's pretend you're dead so that I can get my inheritance now because I don't really feel like waiting till you actually die. The son wanted the father's stuff, but he did not want the father himself. The dagger that the father felt through his heart. It's not talked about in Scripture. If you've ever been there, you know. You see, sin is not only breaking God's law. Sin is breaking God's heart. No amount of pleading, no amount of reasoning was going to do any good. So the father gave him what he asked for. And the son took it and left. The city was amazing. I mean, he got everything he wanted. He couldn't believe his father would have kept all this from him. You could do anything and have anything in these marvelous places. He went to the biggest hotel and got the nicest room. It wasn't cheap, but it doesn't matter. He was wealthy. He was rich. And after that, life got a little crazy for him. Girls, gambling, fine foods, fast horses, the best of everything. He had never been so popular. Everybody wanted to be his friend. He was the party prince popular one. But there was one problem. The money bag didn't bulge like it once did. And one day he put his hand into it and it was empty. There was nothing left. He had spent every penny his father had given him. There was nothing left and nothing to show for it. The owner of the hotel found out that he uh, or went to collect his bill, found out he had nothing, threw him out on the street. But that's okay. You know why? I've got lots of friends. And so he started to go from friend to friend asking for help. But it's a strange thing. No one wants to be friends of a beggar. And he found they didn't come through for him. He had enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. And he found out that there was a season attached. Moses talks about this, or, or the Bible talks about Moses making this decision. Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yes, sin has pleasure. Yes, there is reward in sin. But it is a very short season, and then there is a long bill attached to it. He realized he had no choice. He had to get a job. He knew about farming, but the Bible says there's a big famine in the land, so there weren't any crops growing. There was one farmer that didn't raise crops, though. He raised pigs. 
Now, as a Jewish man, given this story, at least to Jewish people, it's a, it's a shameful thing to have anything to do with pigs, but there was no other work to be had, so he took the job. And an awful job it was. It stank. Made him feel sick. But he couldn't be sick because his belly was empty. The Bible records for us that he was so hungry that it came, it came, his stomach was gnawing so much that it came to the point as he would have picked up the rotting meat and vegetables, the slop that was being fed to the hogs, and he got to the point where he was ready to pick that up and start eating on that just to survive. How had it come to this? How does it ever? He comes to himself, the Bible says. He makes a decision. What am I doing? And he walks up to the office. He finds the farmer. I'm going home, he says. I can hear the farmer say with disgust, Ha! Your dad's going to take one look and one smell of you and sick the dogs on you. I can hear the prodigal say, Mister, you don't know my father. We normally associate the word prodigal, and rightly so, with the son. But there's another in this story who spends lavishly. Only it's not money he's spending, it's mercy and grace. As we read this account, we see the character of the father. He was a kind man. Uh, in the face of great insult, he, spent, uh, he gave his son uh, what he had asked for and demanded. He was a man of conviction. His son knew that if he was going to live like the devil, he'd have to get out of the house to do so. Uh, he was a sorrowful man. The Bible records him looking afar off. He was a compassionate man. He had compassion on his son when he returned. He was a forgiving man. My son is, was dead and he is alive. He was lost, and he is found. He was a fair man when he dealt with the older son. We saw that. <clears throat> he was an involved father. In verse 28, when his older son wouldn't come in, the Bible says he went out and entreated him. I'm talking today about a prodigal father here. Every day, while the son was in the far country, living, in, living it up in parties, the father is at home, lifting him up in prayers. And the, listen, friend, if you're in the far country today, and if you're not where you ought to be in your Christian life, you aren't forgotten. Somebody's praying for you. Somebody's lifting you up. And you oughtn't take that for granted. There are several traits we see here about the prodigal father. I want to point out, he stayed faithful. He stayed faithful. I've said this before, and it's so true. There's no greater temptation to compromise than when it comes to your own children. It's, a, it's something that I've had to live through. Maybe you have as well. Although he had lost his son's fellowship, he had lost much of his fortune, he was still there in the same place. The son is on the move. The father is standing still. He, his boy may have left him heartbroken, but listen to this, don't miss this. His convictions were not set on the approval ratings of his children. He stayed faithful. Dad, your children should know where you stand and why. God helped the family whose kids uh, don't know where the, where the family's headed spiritually. I hope that in your house, your children never have to ask you on a Sunday morning, are we going to church today? I knew better to ask that question growing up. I, would never, I knew we were going to church. Rain, shine, snow, sleet, fire, we were going to church. There was a rule at our church when we got sick. Uh, my mom would ask me uh, if I told her, I, I'm feeling sick. Did you throw up? No, I didn't throw up. Then you're not that sick. Let's go up and go to church. Or, 
Conversely, if she came to me, I'm sick. And she'd say, did you throw up? Yes, I did. I threw up. Now, good. Don't you feel better? Let's go up and go to church. You know, we just went to church no matter what. We're faithful. I knew where my dad stood. What I'm saying today, dad, is don't let your children wonder what's important in your life and in your home. Don't reevaluate your convictions just because a trial comes into your life. Stay faithful. Stay true to your convictions. Job 27.6, my righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. Paul said in Acts 20, verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, we need some men today, some dads that are determined, I will not be moved. When it comes to right and wrong, I will set the standard for my home. I will lead my family. Martin Luther said, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. There will be tests to your faith. There will be trials. When trials come, when your own loved ones scorn what you believe, throw away all that they have been taught, may I challenge you today, stay on the porch. Stay faithful. Keep a heart for God and for your family. I tell you what the prodigal needs is a mom and a dad that will love them and not bend their convictions in the meantime so that in a world that's filled with sin and disappointment, as no doubt it will be, because sin always brings heartbreak and disappointment and destruction, they'll know where the stability is. Your child does not need a wavering parent. Your child needs the consistency of a godly Christian. He stayed faithful. Secondly, he stayed the same person. Often, family trials will change a person. It's easy to become reclusive. It's, uh, you don't want to talk about the problem. I, I don't know if you've... I know some of you have been in, in this situation, and it's only the second time I've talked about this publicly, as you know, and uh, in detail. And it, it's not something that we want to talk about that much. So we tend to isolate ourselves. We come to a point where we don't really really want to go to church anymore because we don't want to ask, have the questions asked and, and uh, we get into these trials. And, but this is a time that we must stay the course. There are those that withdraw when they come into a trial like this father faced. But he did not. He stayed faithful. He did not change who he was. The father stayed who he was. Hey, it's not always easy being a dad. It can be tiring. It can be discouraging. It can be defeating. But here in our text, he just kept on doing what he was supposed to be doing. There would have been no fatted calf had he stopped working. There would have been no ring had he quit. There would have been no welcome had he thrown in the towel. I'm simply saying today, it's not easy, but it is worth it in the end if you just stick it out. Stay faithful. You can't stop being faithful just because someone else does. Amen? Even in your family, you stay right. He stayed faithful. He stayed the same person. And then thirdly, he forgave. If your adult child would come home after they've broken your heart, hurt your family, squandered your wealth, how would you respond? I know for many, maybe we'd sit at the table tapping our foot, 
boy, this better be good. He better, he's got a lot of explaining to do. He better grovel. Maybe if he grovels enough, I'll find it in my heart to give him a chance. But not this father. Every day the father hopes and prays. Maybe this is the day my boy comes home. Verse 20, we see his, the father standing out there on the porch and looking for his son, as he had no doubt many times before. Now, according to one account that I read, in those days the rich lived in the center of town, and if there was a hill of some sort on their property, the house would be built on the hill, and so he would be able to see a long ways off. And one day he's doing exactly that. You know, it's an odd thing when someone that you do not know approaches you, and if it's someone that you, or when I'm saying you don't know who it is coming towards you, if it's somebody that you know well, you'll recognize them simply by the way they walk. One day he saw a man in the distance heading towards the farm. He kept watching as the man got closer. A spark of familiarity in how he walked and how he carried himself. Could it be? He looks closer. Suddenly with a whoop of delight, he leapt off the porch, lifted up his robe, and he ran. The son may have been limping, but the father ran. What a blessing. I want to interject here. Older men, dignified men, in that society never ran. I've read that in many, many accounts. They did not run. Children did, but not men. This would mean that you'd have to, as a wear robe, you'd have to hike up your robe and bare your legs. And it just wasn't something that dignified men did. But this father forgot his dignity. He ran to meet his son. The day he had longed for finally arrived. When he got to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son's trying to get something out. He starts, he'd been practicing all the way back in the far country. He said, this is what I'm going to say to my dad. So he's on the way home and he's saying it over and over. Father, I've sinned against you and against God. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Here he was, tattered in rags and gaunt. Sin had done to him what sin always does to you. It had reduced him to the husk of a man. Now, it's interesting how much he got out. He got out uh, enough here <coughs> to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But that's as far as he got. He was going to say, make me as one of thy hired servants. I do not believe, my opinion, but I don't believe, Brother Vickers, that here he is asking to be a slave it's more, more likely that it's a weak attempt to repay what he had taken from his father. Look at the change of attitude. When he left, he said, give me. When he came back, he said, make me. His whole attitude had changed. But the father interrupted him. Bring the best robe, he said. Put it on him. Put the ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet. For this my son is dead and he is alive. He is lost. And he is found. This ring is important. In those days, you didn't sign contracts. You had a signet ring that was used. And, and he's basically, the son is saying here, Dad, I want to earn my way back. The father says, I won't let you earn your way back. I'm going to bring you back. And by absolute grace, he grants it and gives it in mercy. In the far country, the prodigal learned the meaning of misery. Back home, he discovered the meaning of mercy. 
This is a story of the ruin and redemption of sinners. Understand that this is not primarily a picture of salvation. Uh, he was a son when he rebelled. He was a son when he left home. He was a son when he was in the far country. He was a son when he returned. Thank God that when we become sons, we're never unsunned. Amen? I know it's a new word. George Bush did it. I can too. Here, the Bible says we're sealed into the day of redemption. The Father here in the story pictures the attitude of God towards sinners who repent. He is rich in His mercy and grace, in His love toward us. Ephesians 2.4, but God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. All of this is possible because of His Son's sacrifice on the cross. We're not saved by earning it. We're, not, we're all incapable of earning it. We're saved by God's grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. Salvation is a gift to the guilty, not a reward to the righteous. None of us deserve it, but hallelujah for a heavenly Father who runs to our aid as we limp to Him broken and ruined. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Salvation requires a recognition on our part of our condition apart from the Savior. John 3.36, the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Friend, listen, if you're under the sound of my voice this morning, God loves you. He wants to be your Father. And He wants to treat you the way that this Son was treated in this story. Where there is forgiveness, where there is mercy, where there is grace. Undeserved and unmerited. He wants to be your father. Is he your father today? If not, he's waiting for you. That can change even today. Dear Christian, how about you? Perhaps under the sound of my voice, whether you're here today or listening online, you know it. God knows it. You're in the far country. This is a marvelous picture of the Father's forgiveness that awaits your return. Oh, listen, it's not because we deserve it. Oh, we don't deserve it at all. The son knew The son knew that he did not deserve the father's forgiveness. But he got it anyway. I love the picture that you see of them just clashing together as the father runs to him, throws his arms around him, and the son doesn't deserve forgiveness. In fact, the father had no business forgiving him, but he did anyway. Praise God for it. God didn't. The far country is a, is a lovely place, has the joys of sin, but they're only there for a season. And then we have to pay the price. Sin cannot offer you what God can, friend. You give Jesus your crab apple, you'll get back a golden delicious. You give Jesus your acorn, he'll give you back a mighty oak. You give Jesus your Jacob, the schemer, he'll give you back Israel, Prince of God. You give Jesus your Simon, Simon the cursing fisherman, he'll give you back Peter, the mighty preacher on the day of Pentecost. You give Jesus your Saul, the persecutor of the church, he'll give you back Paul, missionary and apostle. Give yourself to Jesus and see what he'll do with you.
Sin destroys. Knowing you're forgiven destroys the power of sin in your life. Romans chapter 6 talks all about that. Christian, if you're here today and you're in the far country, come back home. The Father is waiting. Maybe you're here today and you have a prodigal. I know the pain. I know the feeling of helplessness. But I do cling to the promise that was given in Sunday school this morning. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. I got to hold on to that promise. God can do a work. What I'm challenging all of you fathers today, be a prodigal father. Don't ever stop praying. And hey, pray with expectation. I caught this in this story today, and it was a conviction to my heart because I do pray, but I don't pray with expectation. And here was a father. He didn't only pray, but he's looking. He's watching the road. Hey, God's going to bring my boy back, and I'm watching for him. So when he comes back, I'm ready. Pray with expectation. Stay faithful in spite of heartbreak. Stay the same person with the same godly convictions. Don't allow yourself to backslide or become bitter or become angry at God throughout a source of trial. And be ever, ever ready to forgive. Then watch God work. That's the story of the prodigal father. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear friend, I don't know where this message found you today.